come up and participate too. So be sure and grab them. Uh, today I want to briefly visit a book of the Bible that we may never have visited uh, on Sunday morning in the history of Center Church. Yeah, the book is First Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, if you have a device with your Bible app, I want to encourage you to just read along in there um, because there might be some things that you want to make a note of. So we have First Thessalonians, the last chapter, which is chapter 5. First uh, Thessalonians, just to give you a little bit of context. A few weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 17. Okay, we've been going all the way through the book of Acts. Uh, gonna, Pastor Rick's going to lead the charge and wrap that up in the month of August. Um, but a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 17, and Paul visited a city called Thessalonica. And they had never heard about Jesus. The gospel had never been there. Paul came, brought the gospel. People put their hope in God, and a church was born. This movement of Christians was born. Sometime later, quite a while later, after he left Thessalonica, he wrote a letter to that church, two of them, the first of which was 1 Thessalonians, the one that we're going to read from today. This section is what you might call an exhortational passage. If you were a theology professor or just a nerd, uh, you might call it an exhortational passage. Basically, Paul is giving them some encouragements and instructions on how to live as followers of Christ. And one of the things that's really important is he also gives them instructions on how to live in community with each other. Uh, pretty relevant to us since most of us are followers of Christ and we are a community together. He's going to give them some instructions, but I want you to keep this in mind. Okay, I'm going to go through it pretty quickly, but keep in mind, he's not saying you better live like this or else. He's not saying you better live like this or God will be mad at you or God won't love you. That's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is because you are God's children, because you've been rescued from hopelessness and freely brought into the family of God, because you're already loved, because you're already chosen and accepted and blessed by God, because you're already his, let this be your grateful response. He's teaching us how to respond to the grace that we've already received from God. So as most of you are aware, after today, I will not be here until October. Most of you, I will not see until, until then. And I have, just so you know, absolutely zero concerns about the church, uh, which is not normal for someone in my position who's going to be gone for two months. Um, but there's some good reasons why. One of them is, there's a reason why I call Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, because he is a man of God in my experience, which has been very lengthy, uh, and is unquestionably called and gifted and anointed by God to be a pastor. I have no concerns about that. Jessica is a woman of God uh, and a woman of character to the highest degree. Uh, Mike and Thea are capable, trustworthy, called, devoted leaders in the church. I have no concerns. And that's just the staff. Like, I haven't even, I haven't even talked beyond that. This church is full of some of the most faithful and wonderful people I know. I have zero concerns about the church in my absence. So before I go, I want to encourage you with the same exhortations that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, 
encourage one another, and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So like I said, you're already chosen to receive salvation through Christ and enter into God's grace and blessing, both now, while you're alive, in this life, while you're awake, that's code, that's, uh, that's pastor speak, but also in eternity, after this life, when you're asleep. You're already called into God's blessing. You've already received his favor. Therefore, because of the grace you've received, encourage and build one another up, Paul says. This is what we should do in response to the grace that God has shown us. We should encourage one another. We should build one another up. I can promise you that no one in this room is called by God to be critical. If you think it's your calling to criticize other Christians, to criticize the church, or really to criticize anyone, I promise you it's not. It's not your calling. Uh, it's a natural reaction. Uh, this might shock you. I've been critical before. Even Jessica has been critical before. Hard as that is to believe. It's, part, it, it's a natural response, but none of us is called to us, is called to do that. Let me just throw you a counter example. How beautiful is the person who can go through all of life's ups and downs, the victories and the tragedies, and still find ways to encourage the people around them rather than carry on about their own frustration? How incredible are those people? Uh, there was a, a man in a church that I was a youth pastor at years ago who's still to this day a legend in our house. I haven't been there for 15 years. I don't even mind saying his name on the internet. His name is Jim Dorch, and he was an encourager. It was the most defining characteristic about him. You want to be someone that people respect, someone that people consider a joy to be your friend, someone that they admire? Be an encourager. Be an encourager. In fact, I'm just going to give you an assignment while I'm gone. Your assignment while I'm gone, not Pastor Rick, because he always does this. Your assignment while I'm gone is to be an encourager. Be an encourager. Encourage one another. Build one another up. This is Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonians. Verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Those who work to see God's will in your life, those who move you forward, push you forward toward God's best, those who instruct you and care for you in the Lord, he says, show them honor. Hold them in high regard. So let's just practice, okay? How about those people that show up early every Sunday to get ready to lead us in worship? How about that, right? How about the people who show up early on Sunday to go downstairs and love on our kids? How about that? How about the people who showed up early to just get the house ready, set up the tables, they're out there getting ready for us after service, uh, they make sure we have everything that we need, the Connect team, how about them? How about, how about America's grandma, Patty Atkinson, who showed up here on Tuesday morning and scrubbed the heck out of the floor in the lobby so that it would be clean when we all got here. Doesn't it feel good to show each other honor? I mean, doesn't it honestly feel awesome? Outdo one another in showing honor even. How about that person who just sends you text messages of encouragement, thinking about you, praying for you, hope you're doing good. Show them honor. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Verse 13 Love, live in peace with each other. 
Sometimes the instructions of the Bible are just so straightforward, it's almost insulting, right? Like, like God just felt like he had to say this so clear, right? Like when your mom had to take strong action to get you to get along with your siblings. Uh, sometimes it's just so clear there's no way around it. Live in peace with one another. One bit of evidence that God has not called any of us to be critical. In fact, maybe if you know a Christian brother or sister who's taken it upon themselves to be critical, maybe you could encourage them to knock it off. Maybe that could be your role. See how that worked? One of the best ways to cultivate peace, though, is to be an encourager, isn't it? Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. It's really helpful to notice that he says, warn them, not threaten them, not, you know, talk bad about them or attack them, but, but caution them. Uh, a Greek scholar that I read once in a while uh, when it's necessary, he said of this passage, he said, it's not, it's not a command it's not a harsh, it's not Paul saying, you have to do this. He said, it's brotherly, but it is big brotherly. It's, it's a brotherly instruction, but it's one with wisdom and authority behind it. He says, warn those who are idle. Hey, friend, this path you're on, it's not going to take you somewhere that you want to go. One of the great dangers in our spiritual lives is being idle, is apathy, is lethargy. Warn those who are disruptive, friend. This is not God's will for you. God has something better for you. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. It's a little thing called one anothering. It's a phrase that appears over and over and over in the New Testament. The idea of we are to be one another's keepers, one another's caretakers, one anothering. We all face times when we need help. We all need one another. You can't help everyone, but you can help someone in their discouragement and their weakness. And the key to this, he says, is always strive to do what is good for each other. So many problems in life would take care of themselves if we would just strive to do what is good for each other. People would see Jesus in us for who he really is if we strive to do what is good for each other. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You don't have to rejoice. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, in fact, I know Christians who seem to have taken it upon themselves to like, avoid rejoicing at all costs. Uh, but in Christ, you know that you do have the right to rejoice, right? You do know that rejoicing is yours, that you are called to that. He says, pray continually. There's never a wrong time. He says this actually in several different places. He says, pray without ceasing in another place. Pray always. Pray continually. In fact, if there's a time when you can't pray, you're probably in the wrong situation. If there's a situation where, where you can't pray, where you can't be connected to God, you should reevaluate whether or not you should be in that situation because he says, pray always and give thanks in all situations. Not for all situations, not for every circumstance, but in every situation, every circumstance. Even in the worst of times, here's what you can be thankful for. No matter what happens between now and eternity, 
the story ends well for you. Jesus has already paid the bill. We have a reason to give thanks no matter what, to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks. This is God's will for you. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies and contempt with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. This is a tricky one. Because I, I don't think many of us would say, yeah, no thanks, I don't really want to see God do like powerful, amazing things, no miracles for me, no, you know, I don't really want to see anybody get healed, or like people that I care about come to know Jesus, or, or like, you know, my church do awesome, like I don't really want that. None of us would quench the spirit in that way, but we would do it in a couple of other ways. One of them is, eh, I just don't really care that much. Don't we go through life like that a lot? You don't have to like say that out loud, but I realize that's kind of part of our spiritual journey. That's something that we wrestle against. Apathy can be a real enemy of our relationship to God. It's one way that we quench the spirit. The other one is that sometimes people do really weird stuff in the name of God, and we just don't want to be associated with that. Uh, I think we can kind of all sort of understand what that's all about. Uh, what we should do, though, it says, is we should seek the true power of God's spirit in our midst. What we, what we shouldn't do is just not ask God to move among us. We should ask God to move in power and seek the truth. And the way we do that is we test it against the scripture. Pursue what is good, reject what is evil. Pursue the true outpouring of God's spirit in our lives and reject falsely motivated spirituality. Verse 23, Paul says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's pastoral prayer for the church in Thessalonica. May God himself sanctify you. Did anybody use the word sanctify in their conversation at all in the last year? Uh, okay, it's not a word we use a lot. What it means is it means to be set apart for a special purpose. So Paul's praying, may God himself set you apart for his purpose, for his plans for your life. I pray that God will reveal in you the knowledge that you have been set apart for his good work. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, not me, somebody else. I mean, you got a microphone, Kelly. Maybe you're set apart for it, uh, but you, but you. you. You have to remember, Paul's just, he's writing this to the whole church. You've been set apart for his good work. He didn't choose you because he thought, you know, it's going to be really hot on that day in 2022, and I just need some people that will, like, care enough to show up at church. That's not why he chose you. He chose you to set you apart for his plans, for his purposes. Okay, Pastor Kelly, how do I, how do I live as one who's set apart for God's plans but still function in the world? Because, like, I still got to put a roof over my head. I still got to do all the normal stuff. Or, okay, well, we're just like this little church up in the corner of town, kind of trying to figure out our permanent home situation. How can we be set apart for special plans? How's that going to work? How am I to be set apart for God's special plans? How's God ever going to use me for anything significant? There's a very simple answer in the next sentence. Verse 24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. It's not on you. He will do it. They're his plans. They're his purposes. He will do it. 
This is the answer to so many questions in life. It's an answer that we really need to call on more often. The entire biblical story of God's interaction with humanity is a story of faith. God calling us to choose between faith or trust in ourselves and faith or trust in Him. That's, that's the story, that's the narrative of the life of faith. The one who calls you is faithful. By His nature, God is faithful. He cannot lie. He cannot change. He cannot fail. He's faithful. And He will do the work. What He desires from you is your faith, your trust in Him. Paul's pastoral letters generally begin and end with the most important thing, grace. God's grace for you. God, God loves you. I remember one time I was walking into the YMCA down, downtown, and there was this group of guys like in their early 20s walking. They were maybe like 30 or 40 feet in front of me. So not close enough. You know, you have that awkward moment like, do I hold the door or do I not hold the door? And so they go through the door, and then the last guy turns around, comes back, opens the door up, and he looks at me, and he goes, Jesus loves you so much. You can't even handle it, bro. And then he just turned around and went in. And I was like, that's freaking awesome. So I, I have no idea who this dude was. Like he, he wasn't like weird or anything like that. I mean, it was unusual. Um, but I was like, that's the most important thing there is, though, isn't it? Like, what could he possibly have said to me that would be more important than that? Anyone? Nothing. Paul begins and ends with the most important thing there is, God's love and grace for you. The gospel is the good news of God's grace. That's what it is. It's the good news of God's grace. God's grace is enough for any and every situation that you will ever face. So I will bid you farewell for now with Paul's last words, the last sentence of the book, verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Pastor Rick. It's all you. Thanks, Pastor Kelly. If you want to just stay here, actually, for a second. I uh, want to just say something uh, real quick in this send-off portion for Pastor Kelly and Brandy, their family. The one way that you can participate, I know, you're thinking, how can I participate in Pastor Kelly's sabbatical? And he's thinking, why are you saying this, Pastor Rick? But I have a good solution to that, is that you can be praying for them each and every day, okay? We're going to commit to that as a church, and we're going to start today. So, Brandy, would you come up? Hannah, would you come up? If everyone else would love to stand up and just extend a hand towards this beautiful family, uh, we're going to pray for them and just send them off with some love and prayer and covering uh, with lots of rest in mind. Let me read this verse as we start this prayer. Uh, Hebrews 4, 9 through the first part of 11 says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. God, we come to you and we just pray a blessing over the Armstrong household as they step into this season of rest and recovery. And God, we know that there are so many things that they're going to do that will be fun, but also there's lots of things that they're going to do that are just going to rejuvenate their soul, God, that's going to rejuvenate their hearts for uh, family and ministry and everything that you've set before them. And so today, as a church, we're committing to bless them with our prayers to lift them up each and every day as they're on this season of rest, that they may enter 
enter it and come back completely uh, refreshed and ready to go for this next season in their lives, God. So I pray that our commitment would be strong as a church. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Yep. Love you guys. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. We're not done yet, so sit down. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to uh, just give you guys a few.